1: T's and C's apply in South Wales, authorisation number tp slash 01005.
2: All right, Gimpy. Well, we've been talking about it. The Sydney to Hobart yacht race is time honoured, it's prestigious, it's arduous, uh, it's had plenty of Kiwi input and flair throughout the years, including a, a very good man who's had a long a long journey in sailing, Will Tiller. He's been good enough to pick up the phone to us nice and early on Christmas Eve this morning. Good to have you on the show, Will. How are you doing, mate?
0: Hey, thanks for having me. Not
2: too bad for uh yeah, Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's right, Christmas Eve. Now you've been pulled in off the uh this is this is how I do some of my best work. Usually I find guests at the pub, but Kimpi I hadn't I not he wasn't even in the same <laughs> pub as Will. He's been pulled in off the bench fire. Chris Steele, a good mutual friend who's another pretty quality sailor. What sort of state's Chris Steele in these days being back? He's been jet setting around the work world. What what sort of conditions are he running in, Will?
0: Oh, he's definitely um,
2: enjoying a few beers, that's for sure. <laughs> he he, actually, he definitely dragged me in at the pub last night. So, <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, so what's the saying? Leopards never change their spots or whatever it is. It sounds about right. All right, well, okay. w- w- the, reason yeah. he, the reason he nominated you for this, though, because we wanted to know yeah. about the Sydney to Hobart, and he said, well, I've actually got a bloke that knows plenty about it. You had a good crack at this uh, race a couple of years ago and managed to knock it off with a boat called Alive, was it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I was pretty lucky. It was my, um, the first pilot I did, our boat almost sank, and so we had to finish, we'd pull out, and then um, the second one, yeah, we managed to win, which was pretty cool. So I had a pretty good strike rate there for a while, and it, then, um, yeah, and then COVID hit and haven't been back since.
1: And, and they reckon that you, well, you finished fifth, but the size of your boat wasn't as yeah, I'm a little bit of a, a sailing no, no nothing here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but yeah, the smaller yeah. boat finishing fifth against the bigger like bigger yachts and the handicap got you to to actually win the race. Take us through how that works.
0: Yeah, it's pretty. It's a bit interesting stuff. Yachting, gets a bit confusing, but you kind of have um, all your boats have this sort of handicap system that sort of yeah adjusts your overall time. So that, um, so then it kind of every boat has a chance of sort of winning overall if you like sail the boat well or the conditions suit your vessel. So it's sort of just it's a way of like a person that has a thirty five footer or forty footer can compete against the hundred footers, if you know
2: what I mean. Yeah, makes sense. the the actual race itself, so you've only had had a handful of cracks at it and you've had a pretty eventful yeah. a pretty eventful resume. But you have been involved yeah. with sailing your whole life, mate. Why is it such a prestigious event and, and why is it so kind of respected and time honoured? Yeah, I
0: totally but like there's nothing, there's nothing quite like it. Like I've done a fair bit of yachting around the world, but like the buzz on like Boxing Day um, in Sydney Harbour, just like motoring out and like there's literally the whole harbour's covered. Like Aussies just get behind it for like some. It's just such a tradition, and like the harbour's covered and spectator boats and everyone out there's having a good old time. And then just like it's just something. It's just something iconic and like just getting out of Sydney Heads and then. Um, bashing your way down the coast and then getting to Taddy is actually like I don't know it's, it's, you go past these pretty cool landmarks like called like um, the bagpipes and turn around Taddy lights and past the iron Pot, and then like you make your way into Hobart and then you yeah, then you rip into beers or customs House it's just like <laughs> I don't know
1: seeing <laughs> the tree pretty much seeing the true Kiwi spirit I don't know it's, just,
0: it's got something about it it's got that mystique and it's got mm. that like History of being such a tough race, and um, yeah, it's just I think it's just got yeah, it's just,
1: it's just historic, eh? Yeah, Aussies they they hold it in uh, such prestigious company like the Melbourne Cup, the Australian Open, and even the cricket test on Boxing Day. So I can imagine what yeah. Sydney Harbour is when you when you take off their will just, just tell us yeah. a little bit. I, I, I've read one of the rules here that you have, you have to finish the race with at least fifty percent of your crew. Have you had one of those days out there on that race where you go you, you're going, you you hit out on a smaller yacht and the waves are crashing over and people are going over the side? How bad does it get? Um,
3: oh,
0: it can get pretty gnarly. Eh? Like I'm not sure. That, that- the time, I've done one with our boat, our rudder. We, the rudder broke off and we started basically taking on water and it was touch and go whether we had to get in life rafts or um, try and save the boat. Um, and that was pretty gnarly. But then, and then like other times, at, you know, at, at the middle of the night, like two, three o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning and it's fresh and you like wipe the boat out, you can like pretty easy for people to get, you know, like, but like everyone's clipped on the light jacket so it is pretty loose at that dark, and like it would be. <laughs> it kind of like yeah, you're getting some pretty some interesting moments that you kind of like. Definitely need to um, yeah, settle the nerves after the race. That's for
2: sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Bit of sailors rum or something like that. Well, <laughs> yeah. that's, what? What are the conditions typically like? Is it pretty gnarly terrain? Um, I
0: was real lucky, like. Uh, it's just because the, the, the way that it comes through up and down that coast, the system that can, it's normally like either upwind or downwind and the sea state can kind of get pretty gnarly because it's relatively shallow in places and it just builds up. But the ones i like, for the last few years, there's been this glamour runs like downwind pretty much the whole way for the bigger boats. And it's been pretty cruisy. Like I think like relatively, like it's been windy, but downwind's nice. But this year, it's looking like their first um, 24 hours might be upwind in pretty heavy conditions. So it could be like boat breaking for the first yeah, first day. And so it'll be interesting to see who gets through that. And then the rest of the race is looking a little bit lighter and fluky. So, yeah, quite a tactical race this year. And maybe um, the smaller boats might be better on, on the handicap system.
1: Talking about tactics, have you had a phone call from Alina yet? <laughs> no, <I should> No. <laughs> <laughs> Team They're New up. Zealand, uh, Stars and Stripes. I
0: know yeah, no, 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 no. I know that, the, the Liggy's interviewing a lot of people, it's going to be interesting who lands on
2: their team. That's for sure. Is the just? We'll come back to the city to Hobart, but yeah, Kempy's got me yeah. going now. Is there a bit of bully around town about the Americas Cup and what's going on, Pete and Blair? Like, there's, it's, it's all quite interesting at the moment. I know the people get yeah. a bit sick of the politics, but there is a lot of movement, lots of personnel change or potential personnel changes. other say, is the sailing, you know, the Scudderbutt. Is, is it a light?
0: Yeah, for sure. There's, um, there's lots of rumors going around, flying around. That's for sure. And it's. Um... Do you want to start
2: one? You want to throw something out?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's got got a lingi in it, oh. is it? Yeah, yeah, There's
0: like there's like some rumors that like you know a lingi might represent um, like a New Zealand yacht club or an Australian yacht club. I think it was like one of the rumors flying around so they could they wouldn't have to worry about nationality rules. And then there's like yeah, maybe some of the top Kiwi stars maybe going to those teams. And uh, yeah. Hard to
1: say, and like, yeah, I'm not not too sure. Just, you gave about. us plenty, then.
2: No, there's
0: there's there is, <laughs> is lots
1: going. On. He's given a.
2: You think there's plenty, mate? You should hear these these yacht clubs, mate. The Gossip is incredible. Hey, Will what, what what's a what's a good time? Like, I suppose it all is all weather dependent, but like, can you give us a, a rough how how long is the Sydney to Hobart? When you're getting out there, like, what are you preparing for?
0: Um, for our boat, we're like we normally on like this so we, the last two races have taken us like 48 hours. Right. So, yeah, yeah two days. But so I think this year is looking like three days. And then some of the smaller boats it takes, well, I don't know, the record's like a day, like 24 hours. And then the, I think this last boat's maybe take four or five days, depending on the weather.
1: Have you ever got out there, Will? You got out there, you're sort of two, two days into it, and you're looking at one of your crew members and you go, Man, I got this one wrong. <laughs> Have you ever, have you ever, have you ever, yeah, you, ever, you know, you've had no sleep for two days. You're looking at this dude, and he's just not pulling that rig hard enough. Have you ever, have you ever had that moment? Um, yeah, I've done some long races,
0: long races, you know, that are like seven or eight days, and it's amazing what happens when I get a bit tired and grumpy. You know? it's, um,
2: it's interesting. Yeah, no, that's right. Well, at least you can all kind of come together afterwards and, and enjoy it. All right, mate. Well, what, talk to us because you'll be following it closely, and and a lot of these crews that go out there, they've been doing it for generations right, so who are the boats to follow or who are some names that we can watch out for this year?
0: Um, I think I oh, feel like overall when I imagine like the Itchy Band which is like a TP52 is going to be hard hard to beat as always but um, just because um, those boats are so well fine tuned it's just hard for anyone else to compete but I think maybe yeah, them, I'll be looking at them and then for like, like, like to win online out of the 100 footers, I think maybe blackjack i think they haven't i think it'd be their year to probably their year to win the conditions look like probably suit them towards the end and they haven't got haven't got the w yet so it'd be probably pretty cool if they managed to they've been at it for like five or six years now so yeah it'd be good to see them get, get across the line
2: that's awesome man that's great blackjack let's keep an eye on that and you personally mate when are you when are you due out on the water next and what sort of event are you, would you be getting into you're rehabbing at the moment i understand
0: yeah, 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 just getting older, hey, both my shoulders blown out. So, um yeah, gotta get both both getting surgeries on those and maybe like towards July or after July, hopefully get back on the water
1: a little bit. Right at the right time when a lingi put their first coat in the water. <laughs> I'm picking for that club that you that from that club that you sail at.
0: Yeah, it's a dream, mate. Eh? <laughs> representing like the Lingy representing
2: Kiri Kiri Bowling Club, I hear. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got it. You're a quick little. Will. hey, thanks, man. It's great to great to catch up. Steely put you up for it, and yeah. um, he's he's invoice. He's put through his timesheet for his producing chef to cover the beers <laughs> last night. So appreciate your time, yeah, mate. Yeah. And and we look forward to following oh, along with the, the Sydney to Hobart
1: yeah awesome all right just yeah merry Christmas mate there you go will tiller
2: he's a good kiwi lad he's been around the world sailing different boats he's he's sailed around the world, different conditions he sailed with a lot of the America's cup guys he's a very 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 competent sailor and um it's interesting with the sailing community that the rumor mills about the america's cup i mean it ends up what well, ends up in the papers you know the kind of high level politics. It's like a fingernail of what all the scuttlebutt <laughs> and what all the rumours is. So um, you can just hear by the tone of his voice, there's plenty going on and there's plenty of people talking about what's going to happen. But the Sydney to Hobart, if you're a, a sailing fan or a, an expert or a pundit and you love it, punter, send us a message. Who are you tipping to win it? Blackjack could be a, a perfect boat for the conditions in their sixth or seventh year, said Will. You know anything about the Sydney to Hobart? 0800 150 811. We'd love to hear from you. This is one of the great events of this time of year. You look forward to covering every single uh, summer. So we'd love to hear from you about what's going to go on. And It could be a gnarly upwind condition for the first day or so. So there might be some carnage. Keep your eyes out there on social media and stuff. There's a great website, uh, RolexSydneyToHobart.com, where you can follow along. Interesting stuff. Kempe. Kempe, you would have spent a few
1: Christmases abroad, right? Oh plenty mate plenty you know spend well, Christmas time for me in England when I was when I was playing was was bonus day you know because they play um in England boxing day on new year's day so you know you have a you have a pretty quiet christmas because you got to get up the next day and everyone goes so in England they go to the sport they go to they go to footy and the and the stadiums packed out so local derby day so you know Castleford plays Wakefield or 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 Castleford plays Leeds and Wigan play St Helens you mm. know so Pretty big games, and and of course they, they they were bonus days. Then they weren't just games. You know, these days you, you get a contract, you play for footy. But back in my day, it was they were bonus days. So your big bonuses were on the line. Not
2: doing like double money, or
1: oh, you're talking good. You're talking back back then. You're talking just good bonus. Day. You know, it was like a Christmas little little bit of a Christmas gift if you could Christmas get the one. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, you sort of really you couldn't really celebrate the the festive season because you'd play Boxing Day, then you had to back up again and play on New Year's Day. Um but everyone wanted to plan them because because of the bonus, so
2: Well what about the crowds? Like was it heaving? Was it good you know, was the energy, the atmosphere pretty
1: incredible? Well it's, it's pretty cold in England too, you know, like you get the sometimes you get a white Christmas. Um everyone's hoping for a white Christmas, you know, it's not it's not cranked up to what it what it sounds like a white Christmas. The salt trucks are out, those sludge snowy turns to mud, you, you know, the you grit everywhere and it's pretty messy walking around. I remember falling asleep one. I think the very first year I got up there to Carlsford, we were playing boxing day, and I've, I've, I didn't even think about it. I was up there on my own, you know, I was in the flat, and then, shoot, sure, yeah, I've got to get up in the morning and I've got to go to the game. And I I got up and turned tally on and just lay on the couch and was waiting to head down to the ground. I didn't listen to the radio, never had a mobile phone back then. Pulled the curtains out. Jeez, it's like four foot of snow. We're stuck. No, I mean they cancelled the game, oh. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't know anything about it. I actually went to the game with my bag. I was the only bloke there. They couldn't get hold of me, so. um <laughs> true. Yeah, no I, had no, I had no idea. I had no idea. So, yeah, those so,
2: Kiwi blokes turned up to the game.
1: Turned, I just turned up and thought, we're playing in snow today, you know. <laughs> they'd been down there all morning. The players, the staff, and the groundsman, getting, sh- shovelling the snow off the pitch. What happened when they – because some grounds, like the football grounds, of course, they all have underground heating. In the league grounds, do rounds. They? They, they? Yeah, they well, of course, mate. In, oh, of in, course, in yeah. rugby league back then they didn't, never had it, so you you got the the team had to get out there and shove. Mate, we well, got shovels. Like you're playing today, <laughs> but <laughs> what would happen is you'd shovel it all off, and the wind would pick up and it'd turn into a skate rink, and a, and it would harden right up. So, I have played games over there when you run out of the cold and your cleats can't get into yeah. the, they can't get into the dirt, and you go, I'm not frost. Talking about talking about that, mate. I played in a game once. It was so cold. It was a Challenge Cup game. We were playing. I think it was uh, it was Jewsbury playing Jewsbury. Richie Blackmore was one of my centres. and I had a, so he he played for New Zealand. I had Richie Goddard, the other center. He played for England. I was playing five eight. We went out. Casper Smith was a halfback. He played for England, and these two didn't want the ball, mate. Every time I went to throw them the ball, they looked—they actually looked the other way because they didn't want to get—they didn't want to get tackled <laughs> in the mud, and because it, it was blowing a f-, minus four degree wind too, it was freezing.
2: Well, you doing the Beaver Donald tuck and run,
1: mate? I was. Well, yeah, I'm a halfback, mate, so I don't mind telling people what to do. I was go I walked into the change room at half time. These two, their jerseys weren't even dirty. Me and Casper were filthy, mate, because every time we got the ball, we looked at sinners. they didn't want it. We had to get tackled. <laughs> and Casper's in the shower, mate. He's got hot water. He, his hands are blue, his lips are blue, you know what I mean? I'm going, look at that half fat you two. You better get you better get tackled, this half I'm throwing you that football, you know. But yeah, that's what, it's it's a cold, cold place over Christmas. But the English, they really you know, they really embrace that whole festive season. Um, and they embrace the the sporting part of it. So you go you go and play up there in a, in a festive season game, and it is packed, absolutely packed. It's one of the best times to play.
2: So what I want to know then double eight double three and oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. Give us a call on the Kennard Tire phone line. What is the best festive sport? So in. America, they have basketball on Christmas Day hoops, which is just such a thing. They love it. They put the best teams against each other. Prime time, they absolutely love it. They don't have American football on Christmas, I don't think. Uh, in New Zealand, obviously, we have Boxing Day cricket and Boxing Day races, and that's a massive thing in the su- in summer. Uh, in the UK, it's it's league. There's the darts. Uh, there's the English Premier League. What is your, the best festive season sport? Let us know. Nominate your picks. I'm sure there's so many I've missed out there. It could be more obscure. Oh, the Sydney to Hobart, for example. What do you love? What do you love about it? Kimpy? that's a great story about these, these centres not wanting to touch the dirt in the <laughs> in the freezing cold.
1: He was he was one, he one of the best I've ever played with, Richie Blackmore. I, I'll tell you, But I've got some stories about that fella. He's one of the funniest... I'll, t- I'll tell you a real quick story about him, mate. Eh? You, you got a couple of minutes. I'll tell you a story. He, he came back to play for the. He came back to play for the Warriors. So me and him were playing, and we're playing for Castleford. I signed this sort of um, under the table deal with Dougie Lawton. You know, he's a, he's a um, Scotsman. He was like, he could, I couldn't even understand him when he was signing me. You know, all I could understand was the, the dollar signs he was writing on the piece of paper. And he's talking to me, and I'm, you know, I'm just nodding my head. Yeah, Dougie, I'm deaf anyway. Yeah, here, Dougie, yeah Dougie, yeah Dougie. What? How much? And he just put this number down. Yeah, I Where'd I sign? So he locked it away in his his safe. And I went back to Richard Blackmore and said, oh, I'm going, mate. I'm going to Leeds. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm going to Warriors. So he was coming home to the Warriors. So he came home to the Warriors. He came home and and he's got straight, he's been stuck up in England for years. He got straight back into the Auckland life, you know, Waitemata Harbour, driving past. He's driving past Waitemata Marina down here and sees a boat. I said, "What sort of boat?" He goes, "Oh, mate, look like, look like Miami Vice, one of those boats with a spoiler <laughs> on it, like that." <laughs> so I said, "What did you do?" He goes, "I bought it. It was Friday night." He said, I, "So I went in and bought it." I said, "I threw the wife in it, and on Saturday they gave me some new fishing rods, and I just took it out. I just took it out to the harbour. I said, "Have you ever, have you ever driven a boat before?" He went, "Nah." I mean, so what happened? He goes, I saw those green round circles <laughs> up there on the boat, and I just thought that that means danger, stay away from them. So I just drove away from them. And he anyway spends a, spends a day out here fishing. The wife's an English bird, so she's got a big mink coat on, you know, with, with, done up with the high heels and all that out there, <laughs> typical northern English. Yeah, bird. yeah, yeah, your lipstick. Yep. Anyway, the, the tide gets up, and some waves start hitting the side of the boat, and they start panicking. They're calling Mayday, Mayday. On the on Richie's come back in here, we can't get in. Like, he never had a mooring. He can't get in. And the guy here said, No, you have to go to, to Takapuna. So he's gone, Geez, I've got to get back out there again. It's so rough. So he's gone out there. <laughs> he's gone out there. He does gotta be real. He, it, honestly, and, and it was in the newspaper. If you look at this the newspaper, <laughs> they got a game the next day. This is Saturday. He's gone back to Takapuna and he's and he's gone, How do I get it in there? And it, there's this big beam across here, a concrete beam. Water's just dripping over it. So he just floors it. He floors it, and he hits this concrete beam, and the boat gets stuck on top of it. So, he, so he, he's lifting them out. He's lifting the the out, the the mink coat and everything, walking up the beach, walking up the beach and saying, "Just go, just go, get it, and Waving down a taxi. And and in the paper the following day, he had to pull out of the game because he had he oyster cut his feet on the oysters walking up the beach. But he said he he cut him run and run along the beach today. What happened was he put, he beached the boat and he went back so he jumped in a cab went home and he's gone oh what about the boat the tide's coming and so he's rushed back down there. What happened? The guys up in the in the in the boat house were watching pissing their pants. They went down, pulled the boat and tied it up for him. They they laughed as so he said, mate, That was the best show we've ever
2: seen. So he, he just tried to jump. He tried to jump the beam.
1: He's looking at this beam and the water's drip drip. He reckons it's just dripping over it. And I'm going, how the hell do I get in? And he goes, you must have to jump it. <laughs> so he's just—he's just floored it. He's just floored it. He it, and he's hit it. He reckons at a hundred miles an hour, and it's just stopped it. So that's, that's sad. They Sunday morning, he goes back to the boat and goes and drops it back off, and tells the guy he doesn't want it. <laughs> Didn't tell him about the bottom R- of the boat. R- 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 <laughs> Oh. Best stories ever mate. Kempe, He's got the
2: best that is stories ever. That is sensational. Wow. That's you that's the best Richie Blackwell story I think I ever would have ever expected to hear. That's so good, mate. The mink coat and all. Kempi, at the start of this week, one thing we had written down that we were meant to talk about was Geordie Barrett. I mean he this is this is the beautiful thing about the world where everybody's got a podcast. Everyone's got a podcast, these former players, so their mates jump on these podcasts and they're just so chilled and they're relaxed and you get this gold out of these players. You never would on the radio. So that means we can then pick up and run with it. And Geordie Barrett just nonchalantly confesses, yeah, he'd love to give NRL. He
1: loves it. He get, loves Get gold. Get gold, you Get more than gold. What about Brendan Smith's podcast?
2: Oh, see, that's that's pretty feral. Yeah, That's what I'd describe that.
1: Yeah. But you're, you're dead right about Geordie Barrett coming out and saying, He'd love to give rugby. Look seriously, I think every All Black would like to give rugby league a crack. Um, just like every rugby league player would like to be an All Black, right? You know, so they they all all go on with the same asp- aspirations, especially these days. You know, most kids that are coming through those school systems are, are playing both rugby league and rugby union. Roger Tuivasa-Shek is probably it was in that time when Roger was playing First 15 fifteen four Tahu College when he came into the schoolboy tournament for Tahu and got picked up. Uh, the Warriors had him, they thought, and and got snuffed out by Sydney City and the rest is history. So I think a lot of guys have looked at that Roger transition and said, geez, can I make just as good a transition as Roger?
2: Well, so this is and this is the illusion, the mirage of elite-level athletes. You know, Roger Tuivasa-Sheck. well, he, we actually don't know how he's going to go in rugby union. You can draw some conclusions and say that he's probably going to have as good of a chance as anyone. But Sonny Bill Williams, Brad Thorne, that's that's the creme de la creme, the greatest. You know, these guys that are, it's not, it's not like that for everyone because there's been plenty of converts that haven't worked.
1: Yeah, and you're talking about league to league to rugby. What about rugby to league? You know what I mean? Well, Inga Tungamala, when he went to Wigan, like he was a superstar at Wigan when he went to play there. In the centres, he. I'm looking. I played against him a number of times. He was a he's superstar. Right. Front Botica couldn't get in. Couldn't get in on the back of Grant Fox. Um, would have been would have been a starting five eight anywhere else in the world at the time. Which but
2: way do you have you th- spent much time thinking about which way the transition's harder?
1: I definitely think le- uh, league back to union. I think that's the harder transition. Right. Because of the um the amount of knowledge that you have to take on board in and around you know, you got a rule for every every move that you have on a rugby union field, you know what I mean? So mm. with rugby league it's pretty basic. That that transition over. Uh and, and Gaznier, uh who played for the center for St George, he showed that when he when he came back from rugby union to rugby league and how bad a shape he, he was in. Um the, the, the hardest thing for rugby union guys to do when they get to rugby league would be their fitness, would be their wrestling technique and their, 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 um, their inability to, to, I guess, put effort on effort. Hmm. Um, and that's why Sonny, Sonny Bill Williams was so good. You know what I mean? He could transition with that physique that he had in a position where, you know, who would have thought that Sonny Bill Williams would have played second 5-8 for the All Blacks? Like, you, everyone's picking him when, they, when they're first talking about him playing blindside. for the All Blacks. Blindside. Mm. Yeah. But here he goes, you know, a, a wise move. They said, no, he's got, the, he's got the skills, we want a big tough. And, of course, he brought in the offload at the time at second five, which was a crash ball, is not it, in Rugby Union. But he started to offload the football, and they created all this movement around it. And, you know, Rugby League and Rugby Union, too, you've got to remember, is pretty similar. The defensive strategies are pretty similar these days, and even the attacking strategies with a, the with a lead runner and the sweep around the back. So you can get to the edges and you can get your kick into the to the corners. The tall wingers that can jump, you know, it's very, very similar. So transitions back in Kipper Gallagher's day when he went to Leeds, ain't as, ain't as I don't think, as hard as what people think they would be these days.
2: Right. So a guy like Geordie Barrett, I mean, it's kind of, it's half fantasy, but you never really know, right? I remember actually with Geordie, this is a bit of a side note, when Geordie was playing uh, MPC for Canterbury, so he'd just come out of Lincoln University, I'm pretty sure he yeah, was definitely at Lincoln University, but I'm just trying to work out the timeline here. I don't know if he'd played Super Rugby yet, but AFL teams were fishing around. He's this big, lanky, full whack second-five centre who can kick the ball a mile. And, I, I, look, I always remember the rumblings that there were AFL academies and, and actually lists, AFL, so first teams, looking and going... You got all the tools. So he's kind of got a special body type where he's almost the size of a lock, but he's got a skill set that puts him in great stead for the outs playing in the outside backs. Solid under the high ball, can kick the ball a very long way, and also strong, big hips, and can actually snap guys. Huge on defense, big shoulders, and he's a country lad. Where would that lead him to play in rugby league?
1: Well for me I, you know if I was looking at Geordie in the school set he could he could play anywhere in the outside backs, but I'd start him at fullback, you know what I mean I think he, he, I think he I don't, I'm not making it up when I say he's New Zealand's answer to, to D He could he could be that good um, The thing I liked about Geordie was that you' watch him playing in the All Blacks and in you know his super 15 games um, and there's instances there which the, the, the normal public would miss but on TV where he's actually quite nasty. You know he loves collision, like oh oh yeah 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 you know, like a,
2: that nasty yeah, he's, yeah he he's, loves
1: collision and he and he actually gets up and he he's got a little bit of push and shoving him you know and you sort of can harness that that type of um, will I'll call it that he's got that will to be confrontational and this is the this is probably the major issue with rugby league and rugby union is that in rugby league you your confrontation is every tackle every tackle you can get bashed you know what I mean so. Yep, blokes are, you know, there's not much so Some people, there's not much movement, but they're going to challenge you. In a ta- in the, if, you if they run in at you, they're going to challenge you as an attack and say, well, you're going to tackle me, and I'm going to make it as hard as possible for you to tackle me.
2: So that's so that sort of kind of like a thirst for collision, that thirst, because I know exactly what you mean. He's got a bit of sass, for lack of a better word about him. He's got a bit of red line, like he can kind of, and you think that would be harness and would fit the rugby league mould very well?
1: Oh, yeah, because you can see fear, mate. You can smell it. You know what I mean? I think I think that's why a lot of blokes won't won't transition to rugby league because because rugby league blokes will f- smell fear. Mm. They'll you know they'll they'll take one look at you and go, "Yep, nah, you're not built for this." um there, Again, that's why I'm, I talk about Garrick Moore. He got bashed every tackle, but he 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 showed no fear. You know.
2: Do you have... So that's Geordie. Let's park Geordie in. Oh, I'd love to see it. I mean, I love... The, the Warriors, you know, they said the right thing. I oh, would, would love to have him there. <laughs> That'd be great. I think if he'd do it, let's assume he'd he'd want to, to put himself in the best position. Uh, TJ Perinaro used this as a bit of a bargaining chip for his latest contract with NZR. Richie's come through. Geordie's saying that it's just trying to up the offer from NZR. Next contract, next time the contract comes up, I think there might be something a bit more to it. But if he was going to do it, I'd imagine he'd go to one of the top Sydney clubs and try to put himself in the best scenario. With And that's no blight on the Warriors, it's just a matter well, of fact.
1: But the, the, the problem, you know, it's, yeah, Richie, that's, a, that's a, a good point. But Geordie wouldn't be signed as a marquee player, you'd have rocks in your head. If you if you're in an NRL club and you'd say, well, I've just saw, I've just signed Geordie Barrett. He's our marquee player.
2: Well, so he's not going to get a much of Like his NZR contract's always going to be more than his.
1: Of course. Yeah. He, he, he can't use it as a bargaining tool because they're not going to be able to compete with what he gets with the All Blacks. It's going to have to be a bit of give and take from Geordie because, yeah, he'll get good money from the NRL, but it, it's a gamble. It's a gamble in the first instance. The if he if he shows a potential in the first year, possibly he could become the marquee player but you don't throw all your eggs in a a basket with a rugby player switching to rugby league.
2: I can't wait. I mean, it's not going to happen necessarily,
1: but the thought of it's so tantalising. Other union
2: players that I'd love to see have a crack, there's one that I've just been thinking about all week, waiting for this conversation to come up. I swear, I swear on Leithfield that Ethan Blackadder would be an animal in the back row. I think he would just love it. I think he is that sort of guy that you're talking about that wants the confrontation. You couldn't smell fear with Ethan. Izzy and the All Blacks, they call them hundies. Guys that at training. Cowboys, cut, mate. Hundies. They, 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 yeah, cowboys. They're
1: out they of the cowboy mode, the cowboy Lonergan mode. Was it Liam Spears, was it? The, Liam Squire. Liam Squire. He's a cowboy, mate. You the, know? The Mark Shaws. Mark Shaw. you know, you know you're probably... You're probably a night. Were you in diapers when Mark Shaw was around? Yeah, about that. Yeah, Mark Mark Shaw. He He would make. He would have made a but be- a but be- at the time he would have been a he would have been Kiwi. You know he was tough as nails. Man, he's Bruce School. Right, he okay. was Bruce School, who was a Kiwi down to a tee.
2: And you can pick him right, like guys like Ethan Black had a...
1: Well, the first thing you look at is you Liam look at the fear. You look at whether or not they can handle the fear. Because it's fearful running in and getting bashed every every time you, if you every time you're playing a, a game of rugby league, you, mate. It was it's like preparing preparing to get bashed. <laughs> uh, it's not like boxing, but it's you know at least if you're a winger in rugby, like Izzy, you can hide. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, uh, you opened up that uh, one, mate. You opened come up that on, one. on, easy on. Actually, uh, Izzy, Izzy would be a good, he'd be a good league player too because he's silky, sil- I
2: was about to say, silky.
1: Silky, yeah. Bring him on with about five minutes to go again win scoring try. Mate, he'd love it. He'd sing songs all night long. Is
2: he, <laughs> <laughs> no, Izzy, Izzy, was, Izzy, you're right, was silky. He would go well as an outside back. Lucky to be able to welcome in one of our greatest racing exports. You would have seen him with the mic in hand, Rather the whipping hand this year, Michael Walker is a fantastic jockey and a really good bloke. He's joined us on the line now, Kimpy, your old mate Mickey Walker.
1: Morning, Michael.
3: Morning, guys.
1: How are you? G'day, Mickey. How you going, brother?
3: Good, Cubs,
1: you? Yeah, not too bad. Hey, that's why, why you said that about the Cubs. Just, I see you've um, you've launched your own your own clothes brand, mate. You've taken off um, taken off the jockey jockey gear and you've launched your own clothes brand. Tell us a bit about that.
3: Yeah, Cause oh, I did. Um, the is a uh, like a, a brand that I, I started my partner and I because of the reason, um, I want to you know, a lot of people are doing stuff about mental health this day and age, but oh, I want to buy part and bring awareness to to men's mental health through um I uh, and and wife Mac, you know uh Corey Wickle, we know the final. Um Corey was a very, very close mate growing up. Um, you know, we went to school together, we partied together, we did a hell of a lot together, and um, you know, unfortunately uh, through this uh, this disease mental health, he, um, he lost it, he took his life and uh, I just wanted to bring awareness and to represent Corey, makes to uh, represent him and uh, just do my part in any way, shape or form that I could and by uh, wearing the cars the brand is you know, it just gives uh, you uh, a chance to be able to feel a part of, of uh, like, a community, like a community that, uh, you know, we've always got your back, whether it's your father, your son, your mother, your daughter, your grandfather, your mates. Um, there's someone out there that's always got your, your back. And uh, by doing that, uh, you, you're able to... You know, I, I've been to it myself, Mac. I, um, I attempted it years ago. And uh, it was a very, very dark place that I never, ever want to um, to be in again in my life. And the reason I went down that path this map because I thought I was too scared to actually talk about it and go to people and, and, and seek help. But by doing that, you're actually the weak person. You're the strong person if you actually reach out and go to people and say, hey, I need help or, or talk or, or, you know, whether it's you suffer directly or not indirectly, by helping someone, just giving them a call, someone who's actually struggled, they give them a call that takes two minutes out of your life to say, hey, Cuz, bring them up, Cuz how you been, what's going on, don't have to touch on it, but just to check on people, and uh, talking is the most powerful uh, thing you can do about it, so we've launched that, uh, we've got peonies, hats, uh, uh, hoodies. Long sleeve tops, T-shirts, women's
1: range, guys' range. Um, it's going really, really well. Yeah, great tagline. Hey, cuz, let's talk. That's a that's a great tagline, and especially around mental health, mate. It's good to hear that you're, you're giving back and you're thinking about, um, yeah, I know the, the Wickle family very, very well from our hometown. Mate, just tell us a little bit about um, the injuries. How, how's it going? Yeah, cuz, at the moment, I'll um, see in uh, May, uh, uh, I had a, had a fall in a race
3: was my Easiest ball I've ever had. I um, slow mo. I can remember being in the air. Going, wonder what this is going to feel like. Oh, I've never felt honestly, uh, fallen on a synthetic track before, so I was thinking, wonder what this is going to feel like. Both feet touch the ground. This is easy. But then the horse's back leg came through and kicked me in the calf, which caused compartment syndrome. So they did three operations in five days to save my leg. Fortunately they did it, so I ended up with Maldi Pirate Cubs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, they saved my the leg, and then uh, eight weeks after that, cuz I had to have uh, full knee recoil, which you know all too well about. You've had a few of them. Um, so I had uh, did the ACL, the MCL, fracture, the fibula, they'd done that. And uh, he was first to know, I'm actually going to be out for another year. I've got to have back surgery to replace the L4. Just to get my back and use the outside.
2: So, hopefully, in the first month of the new year, I can get that done. But that puts me out for another year, man. That's uh, that's well, brutal news to hear. Uh, Michael was really looking forward to seeing you back out there. How are you, how's that process been you mentally kind of getting that through your head and understanding you know, trying to deal with that? It's obviously not easy when you get setbacks, but you coping all good, coping good. How's
3: because- just because um, I, I think uh, by launching this brand is, it's kept it in my mind. You know, I'm always thinking about uh, ways that I can grow and ways that, and things you can do to get over mental how our mental problems and that. So now I don't struggle with it. If I ever did, I would go to someone, and I think Mac would know when I did. Attempted myself. Uh, I rang him. I rang Bruce Sherrick. I rang Alan Sherrick. I rang crying. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I had no one from my childhood growing up. Um, Max, someone can uh, be someone I I class as an uncle. You know, someone I looked up to. So um, I've been there and done it. But now, you know, I'm I'm really really good. I'm I'm happy. I'm healthy. Um, healthy as can be, obviously without the injuries, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> really good and. Had a new baby a couple of weeks ago. Uh, called him Cash. His, his name's Cash. About with a case. So life for me is pretty full on. And um, I think, uh, I've put away the saddle for now. But uh, I'm uh, more or less daddy daycare these
1: days. You're putting a stable together, mate. What 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 number kid is that? You got them all over the world. <laughs> I
3: was waiting for that, cousin. Number four. <laughs> In, in, in horse terms, I would say I've got three colts and one filly.
2: Are, le- are you leaving good types, Mickey? No,
3: let's have a look at me. Of course I am.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, and you've done, you've done well, Mickey. They've, they've picked you up and put you in front of a camera, which I think is a, gr- a great idea um, and, and great foresight from I, I our mate, uh, Marty Henderson, over there producing some of the TAB work. And got you in the ends one of the shows. How are you finding that, mate? How are you finding being a tipster? Is there any pressure on you every weekend? And 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 by the way, we we want you to give us one before you go. Caulfield this week. Because <laughs> um,
3: it's it's quite easy for me. Um, uh, Mac, you've known me from day dot. You know I can talk shit, <laughs>
1: and
3: uh, I I I enjoy talking. So. Um, I, uh, for me, it's pretty easy. The the tipping side of it, because I, I leave that to the profession now, But for the pre and post race up, you know, they used me to to talk about. It and um, it was really uh, heartwarming for me to be able to do an interview with a fellow Kiwi, James McDonald. Um, you know, he was wanting to sit back and really take in the atmosphere and, and just and the, the moment of him winning a Melbourne Cup and realising what he had done throughout the, the spring carnival. But uh, because I went to him and uh, said, because you it in an interview. And he goes, oh, OK, because I'll do it. So I was
1: able to get him
3: at something that I'll remember for the rest of my days on this uh, beautiful earth. And um, it, was, it was really, really good. And I'm actually contracted to them again for the autumn. So, I'm, I'm looking forward to that again. And uh, for tipping wise, cuz, I'm going to give you uh, a multi. Do! Um, Marabi at Caulfield. Uh, they're both short. Don't get me wrong, they're both short. Marabi um, of Karen Ma and David Eustace at Caulfield into Cool and in at Doombin. Uh, if those two win. I think you get about 2 dollars Thirty two dollars, twelve two dollars,
1: thirty somewhere around there. So, cars, you double your money, and that's better than bank interest. So, you good can't man, go Mickey. Wrong. Good man. Hey, and just mate, we're talking um, about that just a, oh, five minutes ago to lethal in us, uh in and around his ride on Agon in the in the Zabil, um on Sunday. What's it, mate, What's a just tell us about those Group 1 wins, because you've had plenty of Group 1 wins. What's it, what's it feel like, mate, when you're in, under those things and you, and you have got a feel of the reins and you know that the thing's going to run? Just take us through that. What does it feel like? Uh,
3: it's, an, it's an amazing feeling. Um, for me, I, I've been doing it you know, forever, so uh, the feeling for me never gets old. Um, I suppose it's been like you, Mac, when you were playing, you know, when you go out there and win a team that you had never beaten before, but then you finally beat them, that feeling that you get. Well, it's the same with me. You know, there's races that I would like to win, and when you get to that furlong and you think to yourself, I'm going to win this, I'm actually going to win this. And before that, I'm quite relaxed, but then my heart starts going and starts racing to the furlong thinking I'm going to win, and then when it does happen, it's just like... uh, no matter if it's a race that's not up there on the radar of other jockeys, but it is for me. It's like a dream come true. You know, it's a race that you've always wanted to win, and I've got to actually a race in my career that I still haven't won, and I still want to win as the New Zealand Oaks. I've won all the good ones in New Zealand, but the New Zealand Oaks is a race that i always wanted to win, and I hold close to my heart, and I'm getting a bit older now, but um, hopefully one day I, I get rung by someone in New Zealand to come over and do that, so... One day I want to do that, and um, but at the same time, I'll, I'll tell you another thing. When I've gone to win a Melbourne Cup on numerous occasions and end up running second, third, fourth, first, I've got to the on the Prince of Ireland one year, I think it was two years ago, and I was in front and I was flying, and he was going to win. My heart was nearly going to fly out of my chest. I, I really thought I was going to win a Melbourne Cup. I end up getting beaten. So I've gone from my heart beating out of my chest going to win to my heart actually breaking when realising I thought I was going to then I didn't. So it actually broke my heart. But um, hopefully through these injuries, I get more chances to be able to do that. Cause and um, actually, I can one day. My, my my actual dream is one day to bring a Melbourne Cup that I've been able to win back to Yatala, getting the RSA cars with all the old boys who have followed mm. me throughout the years, and bring
1: out of it. You know. Oh
2: that's that's so cool, Michael, to hear you say that and here's bro, here's a, a message come through from Brett. Some of the analytical work that Michael did over the spring carnival was amazing, talking us through the whole race with the drone footage, outstanding for punters. So absolutely loving you, mate. And that, that interview you did with J Mac just when you said, you know, you still got can you give me the petrol money now? And he said, oh, I've got plenty of it. Like that was so raw and real. I just no, no wonder that'll be on highlight reels forever, mate. So like you're a, you're an absolute natural off the track. It's been a pleasure to chat to you this morning, mate. And um, congratulations on, on your your new daughter, did you say? Or oh, your new boy, yeah, another cult. And um, good luck with the surgery, and hopefully you can be back riding and we can get you one of those oaks, eh?
3: Thank you very, very much, and um, hopefully one day through this pandemic I can get back to New Zealand and catch up with Mac and everyone back and watching all the boys. And mostly, first and foremost, not first and foremost, but lastly, I would like to say hello to Case and Layla, my kids back, in I and love you guys more than anything.
1: Oh, nice, Mickey! Merry Christmas, brother! Merry Christmas to all your viewers, ah, uh,
3: your listeners. Love you
2: all. There you go, Michael Walker, absolute legend, a, a great boy a, from uh, just Waitara who's he has gone, and you know. You, you painted the picture to us earlier, Kemp. He hasn't had an easy life. He's had lots of ups and lots of downs. But the moral, well, not the moral, but the guts of it is he's ended up in Melbourne and he's one of the best race riders in Australian racing. And he's transferred to TV during his injuries. He's doing a fantastic job with that. And just hearing the way he speaks about mental health, you kind of painted the picture that he has got his head Put on, and he seems to be in a really good place.
1: Oh, he's got a bit of resilience about him, and he, you know, it's, and it's not the story about the racing story too. It's about Mickey Walker's life. I think I think it'd be a fantastic book to put out there in the public domain. So, I know there'd be a lot of people in the in the racing game that would read it and then get a better understanding of who Mickey Walker is as a person. Um And I've had some really really heart to heart conversations with a kid. I, look, I like I like him. He's come, he's he's come from nothing and he's still doing it. Um, and hopefully he can he can continue to do it, and, and especially on the saddle, um, given that he's had all these horrific injuries over the last sort of two years. So it was good to get him on and talk about. It. He's, a, he's a family man. He's really you know obviously loves his kids. He's got a couple of kids back here in New Zealand, a couple over there, and um, the thing that I also like is that you know Waitara, such a, for such a small town, that's um, well above its weight.